0: Let's go be logical Christians. You know when someone says, just trust me, you instantly don't, you definitely know you shouldn't, and sometimes you even choose not to. Well, we're being told that all the time, just not using those exact words. And for the most part, we are a trusting people. We generally want to think the best of others. That they wouldn't mislead us for their personal gain or to advance their pet agenda. Well... On today's episode, we'll go off half-cocked, again, and then we'll be told what to think as we drool on our shirts, and finally we'll find out how it all started. Trust me. So, uh, so grab your shooting irons so you can dispose of them promptly and properly, get some ultra-absorbent paper towels to mop up after yourself, and relax with the confidence that science has it all figured out. Maybe. Don't go anywhere. Trust me, you're right where you want to be. Here we go. On August 12th, 1986, President Ronald Reagan said, The nine most terrifying words in the English language are, I'm from the government, and I'm here to help. Unfortunately, in the 35 plus years since Ronnie said those very accurate words, the phrasing has changed slightly. These days, it's more like... I'm from the government, and since you're too stupid to know what's good for you, I'm here to completely remake your entire life in whatever way I deem necessary, regardless of what you say or do or want, because I not only know what's best for you, but I definitely know what's best for me. A little more wordy, i grant you that, but probably more accurate. And then as the Rules for Radicals author who dedicated his book to Lucifer, Saul Alinsky, said, You, uh... Never let a crisis go to waste. And that seems to be the main tool in the belt of the government as a whole, and the left in particular. And of course, anytime the left can dance on the warm bodies of the correct type of murdered person or persons to promote their agenda, well, they're all too happy to do so. Unfortunately, it's very hard to get their message out to the people. (laughs) Just kidding. The media is in uh, uh, lockstep with the left to ensure that uh, whatever they want, they get. From CBSNews.com headline, Biden calls for stricter gun laws after the worst mass shooting in Sacramento history. We must do more than mourn. I'm assuming that's how he said it, if he said it. So early in the morning of Sunday, April 3rd, as those that decided closing down the bars is a good idea, were being booted out onto the street to wobble their way home, at least two people opened fire with the aftermath leaving six people dead and 12 others injured. About half of them, seriously. Biden, of course, worked all day Sunday with his crayons and wide-lined paper, you know, that kind with the dash line between the solid lines so he knows how high to make the small bumps in the letters, and released a statement Sunday night stating the same trope as the leftists always say. Another community devastated by gun violence. This doesn't have to happen. We must do something right now before the blood gets washed off the street. We must ban ghost guns. Ooh, blah, scary guns. We must have universal background checks. We must ban assault weapons. We must ban high-capacity magazines. We must be able to sue gun manufacturers when their guns are used. And Biden's handlers also added in that he needed his budget passed, (laughs) of course, and that we need to fund more police, which that's his latest policy change because uh, defund the police not only doesn't poll well, it doesn't work well. So he's hemorrhaging voters and approval numbers, and he's got to try to win back some of the less than crazy radical socialists in the Democrat party, and some of the independents that are too stupid to see they're being played. Curiously absent from his boilerplate, in case of gun violence, use this template, ramblings, was a typical, our thoughts and prayers are with the families. I mean, I know that the edict has come down from the leftist masters that we no longer offer prayers because that would imply a god and we can't have that, but why isn't Biden thinking of them? Maybe he didn't want to claim to be able to think, I'm not sure, but neither of those sentiments were in there. He is mourning for them, however, and I'm sure his statement was barely legible by the time he got done crafting it with all the weeping he did. Likely he was inconsolable for much of the day. Now, also the same weekend, Chicago saw one person killed and 17 people injured from gun violence on their streets, and I'm sure the presidential statement is being worked on (laughs) as I speak, probably needed a crayon sharpener, and we know what the supply chain issues and the uh, the wait times are just, uh... so we can add that one gun killing to the 116 other gun killings that have happened in Chicago this year, the first quarter of this year. Maybe that's the problem. Biden is trying to write down every name of the Chicago murders, and the list is growing faster than he can scribble. So why does the Sacramento shooting make headlines? Well, sure, it was a large number at one time, in an area that isn't normally seeing this kind of violence, and as the Baltimore Sun says, quote, the gunfire erupted just after a fight broke out on a street lined with an upscale hotel, nightclubs, and bars. Ah! Well, most of the shootings in Chicago, I guess, don't take place in swanky enough districts for anyone to care. The CBS News article neglected to say that, but they did point out that it happened about two blocks from the Capitol and said this was the second mass shooting, defined as a minimum of four people shot and or killed, not including the shooter, in the Sacramento area in the last five weeks. Of course, when you look up the other mass shooting, it turns out it was a man with a five-year restraining order for mental instability, uh, so he couldn't legally own a gun, who killed his three young daughters and the appointed chaperone, and then himself. Turning back to the current event... One person was arrested shortly after, 26-year-old Dondre Martin, a rapper, because of course he is, with a felony record, so it's illegal for him to have a gun, released from prison after serving one and a half years for violating probation, for aggravated assault from 2016, and a marijuana conviction from 2018. A second person was arrested on Tuesday, 27-year-old Smiley Martin, also not allowed to own a firearm, and had possession of a machine gun, which is not an assault rifle and is illegal in the country without very special and expensive permits, or he modified a gun to make it fully automatic, which is also illegal. And then a third person was arrested on Tuesday. I'm going to screw this one up. Davion Dawson, 31, booked on suspicion of being, quote, a prohibited person in possession of a firearm, so he couldn't legally own a gun either. The Baltimore Sun article points out that California is already fairly tough on guns. They require background checks for both guns and ammo and have magazine limits of 10 rounds. And they currently have an assault weapons ban. So those were three of the things that Biden and the leftists want in order to stomp out gun violence. I don't think any of these were ghost guns. So the only thing left is to sue the gun manufacturer, but that's done after the violence. So why didn't the common sense measures that Biden wants, and California has, stop this? It's literally impossible that this shooting happened. So, I mean, that's great news for everybody involved. The CBS article, of course, has a slew of manipulative language. My favorite phrase being, quote, videos of the aftermath show an all too common sight. Hordes of people running from gunfire yep you know the all too common hordes they also state that this is only one of 120 and as of right now 122 mass shootings that have taken place so far this year across the country that's more than one per day now what i won't do is point out that with a country with about 72 million legal gun owners that chose to disclose that they were legal gun owners 120 mass shootings is uh, 0.00017% of legal gun owners, and that's just kind of placing a blanket but errant statement of these were all done by legal gun owners. And of course, we can automatically subtract at least two, because we know that the two in Sacramento were not legal gun owners. And for giggles, that's actually 1.64% of the 122 that we're removing already. So CBS cited the gunviolencearchive.org as their source for mass shootings, so I went there. Just for fun. First, I find that only four of these happened in Chicago. Like I said, if they come in in small numbers per incident, eh, whatever. Who cares, right? Now I also counted in the 122 incidents, 134 people dead, so an average of just over one per incident dead. But of course, you have to have a minimum of four shot and or killed, not counting the shooter, so we're talking at least another 360 injured to some degree and probably more. I didn't add them up. So when we think of mass shooting, aren't we trained to think of mass casualties? That's almost never the case. In fact, out of the 122, 40 incidents had no deaths. 52 had one death. 21 had two deaths. That leaves nine incidents for the remaining 38 deaths. And don't get me wrong. I'm not making light of people dying. I'm just pointing out that when the media tells us there were 122 mass shootings so far in 2022, that number is kind of misleading. So what I wanted to do is look at some of these mass shooting incidents and see what exactly were the circumstances. The latest one on the list, April 4th, from Covington, Kentucky, saw zero killed, four injured. This was as a result of some fight. A 41-year-old man and three children were shot. The shooters were the 41-year-old man, a convicted felon not allowed to own a firearm, and a 17-year-old boy who uh, isn't allowed to own a firearm and has a current warrant out for a first-degree wanton endangerment charge. April 3rd, Dallas, Texas, one killed, 16 injured. At the second annual Epic Easter Bike Out and Field Party, a fight broke out just before midnight as a concert was going on. Some genius decided shooting into the air would break it up, which just sent people scattering and some other people shooting, some into the crowd. And one person was shot in the head. A bunch of kids and adults were also injured. No arrests, no idea if any of these guys were legal gun owners or not. This was not intended to be a mass shooting, and that's important to know. March 19th, Fayetteville, North Carolina. Three killed, three injured. Uh, This was a four-way biker gang shootout involving the Hells Angels, Red Devils, Infamous Riders, and La Familia, motorcycle gangs. And that's probably enough said right there. March 19th in Dumas, Arkansas. One dead, 26 injured, this was at the 16th annual Hoodnick Car Show, where a fight broke out between two men who decided shooting each other was a good idea. This was not intended to be a mass shooting, once again, one man was arrested so far, 22-year-old Brandon DeAndra Knight, no information on past history or legal ownership status. February 5th, in Corsicana, Texas, six dead, two injured, this was one clearly deranged man, Kevin Malazzo, who shot and killed family members at two different houses in one night. He also killed himself as police were approaching his car to take him into custody. One article I found said that he had a lengthy criminal history, and apparently back in December of 2020, his mother had requested prayer for him on Facebook, saying that, quote, Kevin needs God, Satan torments him. So clearly, he was a mentally unstable individual. And finally, we'll look at January 23rd in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Six dead, zero injured. Apparently four suspects of interest had been arrested, but at the time of the latest article I could find, no charges yet, the police believe that this was a targeted hit, not a random shooting. And if you're interested, you can follow the link in the notes to the rest of the archive. The bottom line is that when we're told mass shooting, it's probably best to do a little bit of research as to what exactly they're saying. There are many types of shootings, but the hordes running from shooters isn't really an all-too-common occurrence, only in the minds of the politicians and their media partners to push an agenda. As for the common-sense measures that these absolutely clueless politicians want to take, uh, they'll do nothing. In just a few instances I randomly highlighted, we see that the shooter or shooters already broke multiple laws, you know, not to mention the whole murder thing. Uh, What will more laws do, exactly? It's as pointless and actually as counterproductive as no guns allowed signs on buildings. That's pretty much just advertising to criminals that they have complete freedom to go in there. So universal background checks. The only thing this affects is if a gun is sold or gifted from a private individual to another private individual, a father to a son, a friend to a friend. This would require you to go to a licensed dealer and pay for him to run a background check. If you look into gun violence at all, mass shootings or otherwise, you quickly learn that this would stop a fraction of a percent of shootings. This essentially does nothing. Assault weapons. This is better translated as scary-looking guns. The exact same parts could be and are placed in more traditional wooden stocks, and nobody freaks out. But as soon as you put it in a modern sporting rifle configuration, it's an assault weapon. These are not weapons of war. We would be crazy, or, or third world, which may be coming soon, to send our military into war with these guns. The AR-15, for instance, is a high power but fairly small caliber sport rifle. It's not a Rambo-esque killing machine. This ban would only do away with various plastic and metal pieces that the actual gun resides in. Again, it would do nothing. High capacity magazines. The thought behind this is not to stop a shooting, but to force the shooter to reload more often. But in most cases, you'll find that a standard magazine of say 10 rounds or maybe less is really all these shootings use. Yeah, you have incidents where a lot of rounds are discharged, but those are infrequent. And it's been proven time and time again that with a little practice, dropping a magazine and reloading only slows down a shooter by a few seconds. It's not like he's got to pull out the one magazine and his little box of bullets and slowly, shakily clip in each bullet. No, you drop the magazine, slap in the next one and go. This again, would do almost nothing. And ghost guns. This may be one of the dumbest of all. This is banning specific gun parts from being purchased online. These are almost exclusively used by gun enthusiasts and hobbyists as they buy specific parts while using fairly expensive and very high precision machines to modify those parts and make other parts in order to build their own weapons. These non-registered or non-numbered guns are just not used in gun violence crimes. Again, this wouldn't do anything, as criminals are not going to bother with this long, drawn-out process. They'll just get a gun illegally somewhere, somehow. I mean, that's like way easier, right? This would have zero effect. And as always, all the solutions are geared toward the tool. But what we know is that the gun does nothing. The shooter commits the violence. It's violence using a gun, not gun violence, but the terms are crafted in a way to invoke fear and other emotions. More focus on the psychology of the criminal would go farther than trying to ban types of guns. How about allowing more people to more easily own weapons? Statistics show that criminals avoid breaking into houses with an American flag flying out front not because they're patriotic, but because they know that person is more likely to own a firearm than the guy next door. And that's not something they would like to encounter. If more people, more cities, more businesses allowed people to legally carry, I mean, yeah, there would be some incidents, but the deterrence would be tremendous. A criminal is much less likely to try and rob a gas station if he thinks the attendant and the other person or two milling around in there might also be armed. But what we need to realize is that this comes down to a fallen, broken world. Because this world is sin-cursed because we've try to shove God out of society because we've glorified violence, demonized religion, done away with family values, done away with morals, and replaced them with your very own personal truth. We now have exactly what we've asked for. These government bureaucrats don't believe they can control criminal violence by gun. They know that's never going to go away. All they really want is to be able to have a compliant, and by force of necessary, populace. You know, like we've seen recently in Australia. In Canada, China. No, violence and murder will be with us in whatever form it takes until the world is made right. James 4 says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Our covetous, angry, murderous, sinful, wretched hearts are what causes this. And the only cure, the only hope to even start to curb the violence with any lasting effect is to turn people back to Jesus. James goes on to say, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Violent, angry, murderous people are presented with the gospel every day. The Holy Spirit acts upon some, opens their eyes, grants them the faith to seek forgiveness and express belief in Jesus. No amount of laws, government programs, government handouts, prison sentences, or rehabilitation centers can do what the gospel can do. And since the government doesn't care and doesn't want God in their world, it's up to us to spread the good news in whatever way we're called to do so. Gun violence gets a lot of attention by the media, but this world is hurting from so many things. Christians, we need to be sure that we're able to present the hope, the peace, the love, the forgiveness that this world needs whenever and wherever we're called to do so. Get your notepads out. I'm going to give you some important definitions that you'll want to keep in mind as we tackle this next uh, article or opinion piece. I mean, it's slated as an actual news article and not satire, but, uh, I mean, you be the judge, I guess. Anyway, let's begin, class, shall we? Propaganda, a noun, the systematic propagation of a doctrine or cause or of information reflecting the views and interests of those advocating such a doctrine or cause. Hypocrisy, noun, the practice of professing beliefs, feelings, or virtues that one does not hold or possess. Irony. Noun. The use of words to express something different from and often opposite to their literal meaning. Bald-faced liar. Noun. One who tells blatantly obvious or impudent untruths easily and with little or no attempt to disguise the lie. From the independent via news.yahoo.com headline, Fox viewers transformed after watching CNN for 30 days, report finds. The summary of the article is stated in the first sentence. Fox News viewers who were paid to watch CNN for 30 days eventually became more skeptical and less likely to buy into fake news, according to a new study. So, you can pretty much see where this is heading. The study, entitled, The Manifold Effects of Partisan Media on Viewers' Beliefs and Attitudes, A Field Experiment with Fox News Viewers, was performed by David E. Brockman and Joshua L. Kayla, a couple of University of California <laughs> at Berkeley professors, and uh, they're, you know, they're lefties. Yeah. They took a group of 763 people per their qualifications that we'll look at in a second, took 40% of them, paid those $15 per hour to watch seven hours of CNN per week minimum during September 2020 in the normal hours that they would typically watch Fox News. So in any of these studies, one should ask what the selection criteria was for the participants. Well, the first baseline survey went out to 223,572 Fox News watchers. How did they find them? Well, and uh, and this should bother you at the very least, they contacted a media analytics company that purchased viewership data from a TV manufacturer that had that data because their smart TVs, which are internet connected and enabled, reported back to the manufacturer what content each IP address, which is your unique ID for the TV, was watching what content. Basically, your TV ratted you out. Of course, that's only for people that uh, opt in, you know, to all the disclaimers you speed pass as you set up the TV. (laughs) They weeded out the data to voters from 18 to 89 that watched 500 to 14,400 minutes of Fox News and less than 30 minutes of CNN and MSNBC per month. That gave them the 223,000 and change viewers who were sent an invitation to participate in a paid online survey. Out of the 15,048 that responded, some further questioning narrowed the field down to 5,536 people. They then narrowed the field by asking who would be willing to watch other networks during selective prime time hours for a certain amount of time per week, which brought their number down to 763 participants. They then randomized the sample and paid 304 of those people $15 an hour to watch CNN, and 459 people got paid nothing to watch CNN for the required hours per week. Upon completion, the results found that those watching CNN had attitude changes and policy preferences about COVID-19, President Donald Trump, and Republican candidates and elected officials. In fact, the authors said in part that when they changed the political slant that the viewers watched, it actually changed their, quote, factual beliefs, attitudes, perceptions of issues, importance, and overall political views, which to me is terrifying. I mean, a month? Really? A month of an average of one hour per day did that? Yeah, we'll talk about that in a minute. The article gave some comparisons between the two network news coverages. CNN covered COVID-19 extensively, much more than Fox News, focusing on the severity of the virus while Fox gave more information as to why it was not as serious and highlighting things that Trump did poorly with respect to COVID-19. Fox News did cover racial issues, but, quote, selectively about Biden and other Democrats' supposed positions on them, and about outbreaks of violence at protests for racial justice in American cities. CNN didn't cover any of this to any great degree. Both networks covered mail-in voting, but from different angles. So the study found that when the participants watched CNN rather than Fox, they had more factual perceptions of current events. They had more knowledge about the 2020 presidential candidates, as well as the changes in views about Trump and COVID. They concluded that Fox, being a partisan outlet, which selectively reports information, causes its viewers to learn biased facts. They went on to say, quote, Treated participants concluded that Fox concealed negative information about President Trump. Partisan media does not only present its side an electoral advantage, it may present a challenge for democratic accountability. (laughs) I love that. Treated participants. If you watch Fox News rather than CNN, you're sick. You need treatment. Stats. Interestingly enough, upon surveying and looking at the viewership data of the participants two months after the study ended, people had reverted back to what they were doing before. Maybe a slight uptick in CNN views, but we're talking a few self-reported minutes per week, so eh, essentially nothing. So my conclusion? (laughs) CNN is so bad you have to pay people to watch it. Which, if you look at their viewership numbers, now that they no longer have Trump to talk about because yeah, their biggest draw was a Republican. Uh, Their numbers have cratered and looking at their very recent CNN plus pay streaming service to get more of that sweet, sweet CNN that you love so much. They rolled it out at $5.99 a month and quickly, promptly, right away, dropped the price to $2.99 per month for life. If you just please, please sign up. Apparently, they had a budget to launch this platform of $250 million and have spent about $100 million in advertising, which is massive, more than they spend in a year in advertising CNN. And the response has been, uh, shall we say, tepid at best? So maybe a good number of these participants said, uh, yeah, sure, we'll take your money to do something stupid for a month. I don't know. But the bottom line is that this study apparently didn't convert or successfully treat anyone. Now here's the thing, and this may shock some of you. <laughs> I absolutely totally agree with the premise of their study. Fox News is absolutely slanted in its reporting. Oh, stop it. That's fake outrage. You know I'm right. What these either hypocrites or ball-faced liars don't want to say is that so is CNN. In fact, from my point of view, I think CNN, although not the farthest leaning leftist shill but it's close, it's probably more heavily biased left than Fox News' biased right, but they're both absolutely biased. And if all you ever do is watch one or the other, you will definitely have a different view as to what is the most important thing going on in the world right now and how you should view that thing. The problem is, everything these days is political. It doesn't matter what the topic is. There is a right-wing view and a left-wing view. I dare you, pause this podcast. Think of a topic there are two usually very clearly delineated views of that topic. So whether it's Newsmax, One America News, The Blaze, or Fox, or if it's CNN, MSNBC, or one of the big three, all of these sources have a slant. You need to realize this. And more importantly, you need to recognize this. And further, you need to recognize that each of these sources are presenting news stories, editorials, and opinion pieces in a way that will convince you that they're correct and that they're presenting nothing but the facts. Maybe they are, maybe they aren't. Now once you recognize these facts, then remind yourself that you are not immune to the media-induced hypnosis. So, uh, so what do we do? Well, I've got three points. First, don't be lazy. Spending the day with nothing but one or the other network droning on in your ear is nothing but laziness. Most of you have internet capabilities. Look up the news from a variety of sources. Use search engines, Google, DuckDuckGo, Bing, to look for additional information. Get away from confirmation bias. This is where you've decided that you know the truth, and you only look up stories that confirm your worldview. See what the other side is saying. Look for flaws, inconsistencies, logical errors in what you're listening to, reading, and watching. Make sure that what you believe is true is bulletproof. Second, be stubborn. I think the most disturbing thing about this study was that people were so easily swayed, if even for a short time. But then again, look at the effects of the fear of a mass-murdering pandemic, and it still amazes me the actions and reactions of people that I would have bet my last dollar were rational, clear-headed, strong-willed people. The number of people that I've seen absolutely crumble under the pressure of fear has been astounding. People, we need to be more concrete in our beliefs. I don't mean that you strut around with the attitude that you're never wrong, but rather be confidently informed in your views. I've told a number of people this little insight about me, and I'll tell you, my millions upon hundreds of millions of listeners, uh, my little secret here, I I might be projecting into the future just a little bit, Uh, but I'm letting you guys in on the ground floor. I'm what I call a recovering introvert, meaning I was the kid in school that as soon as his name was said, he turned bright red and started sweating. I hate being the center of attention. Yet, I can speak in front of a crowd, I can teach a class, I can converse with just about anyone, but I think, and, and this is completely a guess on my part, I think that my introvertedness and my desire to not be the center of attention has driven me to want to be right about absolutely everything. Now, I'm not saying I am right about everything. I'm saying I want to be. So to that end, I study, I follow links, I listen to a variety of podcasts, watch a variety of YouTube channels, read a variety of news sources and books, and and question not all, but many, many things. Let me encourage you to do the same, to the best of your ability. Become learned. Strive for knowledge. Strive for wisdom. Back to me. If someone wants to change my opinion, you better come with well thought out, well grounded, rock solid facts. I've done my homework. Don't expect me to change my view because you feel different about it. Prove to me that I'm wrong. Give me your facts, then I'll go back and do more work. And if it turns out I'm wrong, I have no problem admitting it and correcting it. For instance, years ago, I was of the opinion that aliens could potentially be out there somewhere. My brother-in-law laid out the case biblically from his own knowledge and using the expert knowledge that he had read that aliens did not fit in the biblical worldview. Well, he was right. My view changed. And I could give you a number of examples where I have had very solid beliefs and I've changed them because I've been given concrete facts, data, proof, and arguments to the contrary. So don't be afraid to be wrong, but do all you can not to be. One more story. My dad, a number of years ago, I I think in the Obama era, asked me essentially, how do you know that we're right in our political views on these different subjects? To which I replied that very often I play them out to their absurd end. For instance, unemployment benefits. They went through a period where they were literally trying to get as many people on unemployment and various government assistance benefits as they possibly could. In fact, I remember one of the media campaigns saying that the more people we get on government assistance, the stronger we are as a country, or Something very close to that. Well, is getting more people on unemployment a good thing? Playing it out to the absurd end, what if everyone, 100% of the population was on it? Well, seeing as though it's paid by people that work, the system collapses. It's unsustainable if everyone's on it. And that's just one aspect of the problems. There are many. So if going full tilt, wide open throttle, the entire way down the road is bad, then going down that road a little is also bad right? So maybe don't head that direction. Additionally, when looking at the various political or even religious beliefs that you might have, if you find that the views as you play them all out, all start to conflict, then you really need to rethink what you believe. For instance, you believe that evolution is true. You believe the Bible is true. Both of those, no matter what lies you're being told, can't be true at the same time. Better rethink it. Third, and finally, base your views on the single source of truth that exists in all of history, the Bible. As you evaluate political beliefs, what does the Bible say? As you evaluate religious beliefs, what does the Bible say? As you evaluate what networks to watch, evaluate them based on biblical principles. Now, I'm not saying you can only listen to professing Christians, but look for the moral markers, the Christian values. Look for their track record. Are they generally more or less Christ-like? When you evaluate a presidential candidate, you're likely not going to have a choice of a rock-solid, born-again, baptized believer. But who is more that direction? Vote for that person, no matter what. If you're a Christian and you vote for the person with the less Christian-like platform, what are you doing? To put it bluntly, because it's an easy and apt example, Christians have voted for Biden because Trump is crude, rude, brutish, and tweets mean things while overlooking Biden's stance on how wonderful homosexuality and transgenderism is, you know, even for kids, and how he's just fine with baby murder, put simply, what were you thinking? Did you literally weigh out your decision biblically? Or did you vote out of a false sense of outrage trying to display your better-than-thouism by getting rid of the nasty brute? So this study was silly, because it was done from a biased standpoint to prove that the other guy is biased, And from some of the conclusions, the authors of the study don't appear to see their own bias. The study is interesting. The studiers are compromised agents incapable of analyzing results honestly. But the takeaway that every Christian, and every non-Christian for that matter, should walk away with is, know what you believe. Make sure of what you believe. Taken slightly out of context, but not in concept, Ephesians 4 says, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. My friends, it's time to grow up. If you can listen to one preacher and believe one thing, and listen to another one and believe the opposite, if you can do the same with a politician or with a media outlet, it's time to grow up. Stop being a child. Time to take responsibility. Time to man up. Yeah, even you ladies. And mature to the stature of the fullness of Christ. Doctor Who, Doc Brown and Marty McFly, Bill and Ted... What do these people have in common? That's right. They're all fake. No, no. Well, yeah, no, I mean, they are fake, but uh, but they're all time travelers. Side note, did you know in the book, The Time Machine, that the name of the time traveler is never given? He was going to be my ace in the hole in this list, but if I gave you that list and then I added the time traveler from the time machine, I think it almost would have given it away. <laughs> The idea of time travel has been around for a long time. There's speculation that if we traveled faster than the speed of light or traveled through a black hole or a wormhole in space, that maybe we could go back in time. And although we currently have old British police call boxes, I'm I'm assuming there's probably some still laying around, and we have telephone booths, I think, I think we still do, and we definitely have DeLoreans that could probably muscle their way up to 88 miles an hour if Given a long enough downhill stretch and a stiff tailwind, we still don't have the ability to take any of these vehicles forward or backward in time. But science, and this is the kind of science with the capital S and the quote marks around it, has a desire to go back in time and know what exactly happened at the point of the Big Bang and right after the Big Bang, and everything possible as close to the Big Bang as they can get. Why? Well, from what I can ascertain from looking at multiple articles to see if what they assumed happened actually happened. When you come right down to it, from an evolutionary perspective, if they were to discover that the Big Bang did or didn't happen how they thought, it literally wouldn't make one bit of difference to anyone anywhere. Regardless, the speculationary science runs rampant and is passed off as absolute scientific fact. Dish, and now, as luck would have it, we absolutely know what it looked like when nature turned the universal lights on shortly after the big bang. You know, the big bang that absolutely happened. From sciencealert.com headline, smacking new simulation shows how lights turned on in our universe. <laughs> well, here's the deal. I don't want to be smacked in the gob, but I feel it may be worth taking that chance just to read this article. So the article starts off with absolute, concrete, established speculative facts stating that at one point our universe was just swirling gas that didn't allow light to travel, but at only one billion years after the Big Bang, light was running all over the place, like a two-year-old that found his Easter basket before mom woke up. And now, oh man, now we can see exactly how they think it might have possibly happened, maybe. Named for the Etruscan goddess of the dawn, Thiessen, so hey, all of you out there with the name Thiessen, now you know where your name came from, a simulation has now been developed to allow us all to view that cosmic dawn. As one MIT physicist for the Kavli Institute for Astrophysics and Space Research said, quote, it is intended to serve as an ideal simulation counterpart for upcoming observational facilities which are poised to fundamentally alter our understanding of the cosmos. And if you didn't understand that, join the club. No idea what he just said. And can I just pause here and ask why it seems like everything we're doing these days fundamentally changes something? Can we just leave things fundamentally alone for a little bit? The study of cosmic light is viewed as the key to understanding the universe. So scientists believe that the more they can study about it, or more accurately, the deeper they can peer into space in what they assume is the direction of the Big Bang, the farther they can look back in time, the more they'll understand the exact mechanics of the Big Bang. And then, then they can probably write some more papers about it or something. I really don't know what they're going to do with this. So the cosmic dawn is a little window, a tiny slice, if you will, of time from 50 million years to 1 billion years after the Big Bang. So, you know, only the 950 million years tiny slice. This is the period that the article presents as absolutely happening. It's also the period of time that the universe started to assemble, you know, come together right now over me as the opaque ionized gas atmosphere started to combine into hydrogen atoms and the gas began to cool light could finally do its thing at 1 billion years the universe was done assembling and unfortunately we don't have any tools to peer back earlier than 1 billion years to see what it was doing prior to being the way we see it today so the only alternative is to create models and simulations built off the speculative science, hopes and dreams, and fairy tales that our evolutionist friends talk of. And that's exactly what they did. Now, remember everything I've said so far has been presented as absolute scientific fact. We know the big bang happened. We know the universe was this fog of ionized gas. We know that 950 million year period was the cosmic dawn. And we know that because we know we've looked back to 1 billion years after the big bang and everything apparently looks basically the same as it does now. So. Using what we absolutely know, then taking, quote, basic physics equations and governing theoretical models to simulate, (laughs) whoops, hold on, governing theoretical models. Remember, a model is only as good as the person that modeled it and the information used to make the model. A theoretical model can be translated more accurately as an imagined model. And the key word here is governing the decision was made that a made-up model is the story we're sticking with. Moving further, this program, which again is only a simulation or a model in itself, starts with a, quote, realistic model of galaxy formation. Note that, another model. Quote, along with a new algorithm for reproducing how light interacts with and reionizes ambient gas... Okay, so a new algorithm, no idea if that's a proven or a theoretical algorithm, but the qualifier of new tells me that it's probably theoretical, quote, and a model of cosmic dust. Ah, another model. The next sentence is, quote, these processes and interactions are very complicated. Well, yeah, I'd say they are. They're using a governing model, physics equations, another model, a new algorithm, and another model. The only thing in this conglomeration that actually holds any water at all is the physics equations. And anyone who knows anything about the Big Bang knows that you have to suspend all laws of physics for it to happen. And then they say that they kick in in a fraction of a fraction of a second after the explosion. And in reality, we have no idea if the laws of physics hold true or what they do in deep space because of temperature. Light? Black holes? So even using laws of physics as knowns is a little sketchy. Regardless, using all of this um, uh, chicanery, they modeled a 300 million light years across section of the universe, looking at the lights turning on from 400,000 to 1 billion years after the Big Bang, and used the equivalent of 30 million CPU, computer hours to run it. That seems like a lot to make an animation of lights, but you know, hey, whatever. And the result, well, quote, this gives an unprecedented look at the way early galaxies formed and interacted with the gas of the early universe. Ah, well, a modeled, theoretical, unprecedented idea of what maybe happened as the galaxies formed. Hmm, Cool. They then point out that very soon they'll be able to test the power-hungry animated theoretical model they created to see if it's right or not. The James Webb Telescope will be peering back in time very soon. The Hubble, after its auspicious beginning, has been peering around the universe since 1990 and has outlived its design life by 12 years so far, so hey, Mark one up for the engineers. But the James Webb is designed larger and more powerful to peer even deeper into our theoretical past. Part of the design is to allow it to look back to a mere 300,000 years after the Big Bang as the fog was beginning to clear, the stars and planets were starting to form, and the light was starting to sneak its way out into the universe, looking right through the time period that the Thiessen model has modeled. As one of the physicists said, either our and simulations and model will agree with what JWST finds, which would confirm our picture of the universe, or there will be a significant disagreement showing that our understanding of the early universe is wrong. And then the author finishes the thought, either way, we're going to learn something very exciting about the mysterious birth and early years of our amazing universe. So you can see here, as much as they like their model proven correct, It really doesn't matter. Their model can be wrong. Their belief never will be. So what will the James Webb see? Will it see what they expect? Is it really going to look back in time 13.4 billion years? Well, I mean, from a Christian perspective, we don't need models. We don't need theoretical calculations. We don't need speculation. We don't need to suspend physics. We also don't have a full description as to how creation actually happened other than what we're told in Genesis 1 and and then a few other poetic references in various places in the Bible. But what we have is a plausible, realistic explanation as to what happened, and it fits what we see today. So will the James Webb look back in time 13.4 billion years? No, it won't. It may be able to look at far distances, but the farthest back in time it could possibly see is about 6,000 years. Will it see a fog with lights just starting to poke their way around space? I don't know. I have no idea what it'll look like that far out, but I kind of doubt it. I think what they're going to see is exactly what the Hubble sees, only farther and sharper. And I think there will be a lot of head scratching to try to figure out what exactly is going on. And then, of course, there will be new theories, and maybe even a theory that the universe is... Uh, quite a bit older than we think it is. What I do know is that they will not give up their theory and look to a biblical model of creation. So why? What's stopping them? Well, beyond the fact that they can't have a god because that means rules, and that's not what they're looking for, one of the mysteries of creation, something that the creationist really doesn't have a perfect answer for either— In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light, and God saw the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. There was evening, and there was morning, the first day. Light. How did light get here? Now, we know that this light is not the stars. This is light straight from God in one way or another. And then skipping a bit, we we get to, And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years, and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night, and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. So we know that God made the lights, the sun, the moon, the stars on day four. And, and really, I, li- I like the way that the KJV says it, he made the stars also. Almost an afterthought. Oh, yeah. And those, uh, those countless points of light that we see in the sky every night? Yeah, God tossed those out there as well. The evolutionist will generally argue that light travels at a certain speed, that we know the distance of many of these stars or suns, and the time it would take light to reach the earth from these stars is much, much longer than 6,000 years. So uh, explain that, Bible boy. And I don't have a good explanation. Or at least, I don't have a concrete explanation. One possibility is that God caused the light to travel at an unbelievable speed from all around the universe. And if we were to have looked into the sky we would have seen the lights blinking on all night long, lighting up the sky. Another theory is that light in deep, deep space acts differently than how we see it act in our limited scope. We do know from limited experiments in the lab that we've brought light to a stop or nearly so, and that we've pushed light to a speed faster than the speed of light, so it can be manipulated in the right conditions. Now, my personal belief is that God created a mature creation. I mean, he didn't create a baby, he created a man. He didn't plant seeds in the dirt, he created plants and trees. He didn't create a cooling, squishy earth, he created the planet. And so, why couldn't the creator of the universe not only place the star, but also place the light emanating from the star, including laying the beam of light that makes it to the earth, all at the same time? I think when he made the stars also, it was dark, maybe except for the lonely moon and a black sky, And suddenly, uh, boom, lights everywhere. Now, what's terrible about articles like this is how much is presented as fact when none of it is remotely close to anything that even resembles a known fact. They present models as facts, simulations as facts, theoretical calculations as facts, but they refuse to even consider the written history. And Genesis is written as a history, not a story, not a poem. And that gives them a timeline and an order of events. And so many people read this, Christians and non-Christians, and they go away deciding that the Bible is a good book, but definitely not an inerrant book. I mean, look, the author didn't know the latest science like we do. And then once compromise sneaks into their worldview, the chances for turning their backs on the Bible and on God goes up and up. So Christians. We need to read and understand these kinds of articles. We need to be able to discuss these with people that have questions. We need to be able to hold a conversation about the harder things the Bible talks about, not just to fall to, I don't know, God did it. The world is hungry for the truth, for any truth. And we not only have the truth, but we also have the way and the life. We can not only give a plausible, possible, coherent explanation for the beginning of the universe— but we can tell them about the Creator, about sin and about condemnation, and about love and rescue and salvation. So let me challenge you. Be well-read. Be up on current events. Be able to look at the news of the world from a Christian worldview and be ready to talk about a variety of things with the intent to use an opening to show them the truth that only God provides. And with that, we've reached the end of this episode of the Logical Christian Podcast. If you've made it this far, the odds are you liked what you heard. I'd greatly appreciate a like, a comment, and a review if you're so inclined. As you likely already know, it all helps with the algorithms. Don't forget to subscribe so you can be notified whenever a new episode drops. And finally, if you found this podcast useful or entertaining, share it with your friends, your enemies, your in-laws, your outlaws. If you want to reach me, you can do so at lcpodcast at outlook.com, or increasingly, I'll be using at lcpodcast on Getter. Lawrence J. Peter said, Against logic, there is no armor like ignorance. But Jesus told us that if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So stay in the word, stay logical, stay faithful, and until next time, God bless.